read with me? We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversations the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Thank you, Mike. Good morning, church. Somebody over there said, good morning, church. That's awesome. I love it. I want to encourage you to remember uh, this week uh, will be our Adult Teen teen Challenge uh, meal on June the 10th. On that Monday, there's also will be two men, two men graduating this month. Uh, they've been at all of our meals, and uh, they will uh, be there as well on that evening. And so we uh, are happy for their accomplishment, uh, but we also appreciate all that's gone into these meals and the encouragement that you have given these men uh, if you've participated in that, uh, even if you have prayed for them. So I want to encourage you to continue to do that, but want to uh, let you know that if you can be here that evening, that you are invited. Also, if you would like to help with food, which will be greatly, greatly appreciated. These men always look forward to uh, to our the food and the meals that they have here. So if you can help with that, uh, there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer uh, for what you can bring and be a part of that and sign up for that. So we appreciate you doing that. Before we begin this morning, I want us to uh, just pause real briefly and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let us pray. Holy Father, Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Father, I just pray that you will help us as we begin to focus on your word, as we have been focusing on you in our songs, but Father, as we focus on this study, I pray, Father, that you will help us to open our minds and our hearts, uh, Father, not to think of what others uh, are doing or not doing, but Father, help us to focus on your word and to look at the mirror of your word as it relates to our lives and to have you as our focus, to have our example as Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Father, of all of our many sins. Thank you for being our audience of worship today. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. As the story goes, for many years, he was a prominent Christian professor at a Christian college. He was vigilant. He was a vigilant guardian of biblical orthodoxy or customs. He was an author. He, his encyclopedic knowledge made him a man that many, many people sought after and looked to for wisdom. He was a confidant and an advisor of college presidents. Uh, 
of prominent ministers and of Christian executives. Yet his long association with the college came to be irreparably severed because of adultery. You may ask in your mind, how in the world can this happen? And that's a great question and one that many times we ask. Yet, even after as we ask this question and we seek to understand how can things like this happen, they keep happening all too often, don't they? And this reminds us of some things. It reminds us to uh, make sure and ask where our allegiance is. Is our allegiance with God or is our allegiance with man, with humans? Because, see, we all know, we've heard these stories, we've seen these things unfold before our eyes, and it reminds us that we need to make sure individually as Christians and collectively as the body of Christ that we have our allegiance with God and not with man. But it also reminds us that we're in a war. There's a war and there's a battle going on. A war and a battle for for our hearts and our minds. Remember what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because this is our war, because this is our battle, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I find it interesting that... We have been studying 1 Corinthians in ladies' Bible class and learning something about the Corinthian culture. And then in our Bible class this morning, we uh, looked at 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter also reminds the people he's writing to here. And then Paul also reminding these Christians in Ephesus that we are in a battle. There's a war going on. And maybe you're like me, and maybe, maybe you don't like confrontation. Maybe you don't want to be in a war. But the reality is, we are in a war. It doesn't take us long to open up the newspaper, turn on the television, look online, and we know we're in a war. For our hearts, for our minds, and folks, guess what else? It is in and for our homes. You see, Satan has always used culture to influence the church and families, and he's still at work the same way today. You know, it's real easy for us to look on television and say, man, those people over there, they need to get their life right. They need to get their act together. Man, that person that I work with, they need to get their life together. They need to get their act together. That person I go to school with, man, they are sad. They need to get their act together. But you see, when we look in God's Word, we need to see where we are. Instead of focusing so much on where everyone else is. 
It's interesting that Paul went about his missionary journeys sharing the good news of Jesus. And as he did so, he went to the city of Corinth. He went to the city of Ephesus. He went to these other cities that were very corrupt. Very wicked, the Bible will teach us. And yet he established churches. And Ephesus was one of those cities. You see, the city of Ephesus had a commercial importance because of its location and heavy traffic volume through its city. It also had political importance because of its uh, standing with Rome. And it also had religious importance. Wow! But notice where its religious importance was. You see, in the city of Ephesus, very much similar to that of Corinth and other surrounding cities, their religious importance was because of the temple of Diana or Artemis. One person said this about the temple of worship, temple worship in Ephesus. The worship at the temple of Diana was hysterical and filled with emotional frenzy. It was accompanied by the most shameful and base activities imaginable. The temple provided for the safekeeping of people's valuables and therefore served as a bank as well. It also was a place of asylum for the worst of criminals, making Ephesus notorious for wickedness and uncleanness. Nevertheless, the apostle Paul spent more time in this city than in any other city or place where he preached. You see, the temple of Diana was filled with Base sexual things. Prostitution. Both male and female was a part of the worship in the temple of Diana. Very similar to that in the temple worship in Corinth. As Paul deals with the influence of that culture. And it's interesting that as Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, as Paul in the book of Ephesians and other places, lists some of the specific things that, that they're dealing with, that they're struggling with, at the base of those is lust. Sexual lust. That's the kind of culture that Paul goes into and he establishes the bodies of Christ. In Corinth and Ephesus and other areas. And so no wonder when we read in these letters, Paul dealing with some of these things, as Mike read for us, their understanding darkened. They are alienated from a life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. The bitterness of their heart. Uh, to work all uh, lewdness, uncleanness, greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. In Corinthians and in Ephesians, Paul is reminding them about their surrounding. This is the way the culture is. This is the culture that you live in. But you have not so learned Christ. You have been called out to live in amongst these people. Every day. But to be different. So how... 
how do we live in our homes, in our communities, uh, in our culture, in our churches? How do we live and interact in a society like that? Because it doesn't take us long to turn on the television, to look on the internet, and to see we live in a society very similar to that of Corinth and that of Ephesus. What is it that sells products in our nation? Sexual lust. That's what sells in our culture. That's what sells anything in our culture. So our culture is not much different from that of Corinth and that of Ephesus. So how do we do that? Paul gives us some great advice in Ephesians chapter 5. Notice chapter 5. Verses 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul said a similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, in chapter 5, you know that those who practice and live in this every day, you know those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So because you know this, Paul says, therefore, don't just put these things aside. I want you, as Peter calls... Christians, the royal priesthood, a chosen generation, God's own special people, as God's own special people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be imitators of God. I want you to walk in the love, or walk in love as Christ. Now, a few weeks ago on Wednesday evening, uh, Dwayne gave an excellent talk about being imitators. You see, that word imitator, it means to, to mimic. Uh, notice what, uh, what Jesus Himself would say about His love. You see, Paul says, I want you to mimic God. I want you to mimic the love of Christ. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8 and verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So the word imitate means to mimic. In other words, Paul says, I want you to mimic... 
And I want you to put this stuff off, but then I want you to love like God. I want you to love like Christ. Someone said it this way. The Ephesians were to imitate God and Christ in expressing love to others. Certainly the sacrifice of one's own interests out of concern for the welfare of others is the quality above all that fosters harmony in the community. In other words, when we lay our selfishness and our wants and even our needs aside and we focus on others... Paul says that helps us to lay aside all these things that are in the darkness. The love of which Paul, listen to it, the love of which Paul spoke here is, hear me now, a decision. It is not simply a feeling, but a choice one makes. Additionally, this love is active. It is expressed in deeds done, not just words spoken. Finally, such love is unconditional. It is not determined by what the loved one does or does not do. But by the heart of the one who lives. In other words, it's not about my spouse or my kids or my brother and sister in Christ. It's not about what they do so that I can love them back. It all comes from the love of the giver. And the greatest example of all time said, For God so loved the world that He gave Jesus Christ. And Paul says, You imitate that. And that's how you avoid the things of the darkness that the Corinthians were involved in, that the Ephesians were involved in. Imagine what our homes would be like. You see, here's the interesting thing as I began looking at all this. When we go to Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, we automatically start talking about the marriage relationship. We automatically start talking about the relationship of parents and children. That's coming. But the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, set, or in the beginning of chapter 5, set up how we need to be as husbands and wives. How we need to be as parents and children. And I'm so glad. Because I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best dad. And I struggle. And I'm thankful I don't have to be the example, but I'm thankful I do have an example. Paul encourages the Ephesian Christians to practice this kind of love everywhere and at all times. But the reality is, where does it begin, Paul? Paul says it begins in the home, latter part of chapter 5 and chapter 6. But it isn't always easy to practice this, is it? Because we can be selfish. And the devil wants us to think about what we want and what we need. But we're called to love anyway, just like God. I don't know about you guys. 
we're about to drive to camp here in a little while. And we got a schedule to keep. But I wish we could shoot that clock back there sometimes. Because there's a lot of stuff here and we just don't have time to deal with it. But Paul says, I want you to walk and be imitators of God. And he also gives the opposite of loving like Christ. He reminds the Ephesians and us that sexual impurity, sexuality has nothing to do with love. Because see, when we take advantage of someone else sexually, or when that's our desire and we give in to that, whether it's uh, pornography, which the Greek word for immorality comes from that, or gives us that word pornography, it has nothing to do with love, though we might think it is. Young people, that's why we talk about save yourself from marriage. Because see, when you give yourself to somebody, you can think it has to do with love, but it has nothing to do with love. It has to do with my gratification. And that's the culture that these people lived in, and that's what they were bombarded with every single day. You see, Paul uses the word greed or covetousness. And it's not talking about just a desire for property, but rather what Paul is talking about here is the immoral desire for someone else's body. And he calls that idolatry. Someone shared with me a story uh, of a sermon illustration that someone used the other day uh, about a missionary who went into uh, an area and he taught them the gospel and they gave their life to Jesus Christ and he put up on a screen a picture of this, uh, this pool where people were being baptized and there was a cross in the background. But then he gave another scene of the same exact spot from behind the pool with the cross, and in the distance there were also altars to other gods. And what he was saying is that these individuals, they accepted Christ, they accepted God, but they added them to their gods. And he said, that's idolatry. And the point he was making is challenging God's people to ask ourselves, are we taking God and adding Him to our gods? Oh, what a challenging question. Paul said to these Ephesians, listen, you shouldn't even be joking about these kind of sexual matters. These things are huge temptations even in our world today because everything, like we said, is sold by sexual lust in our culture today. And Paul says, put those things aside. How do you do that, Paul? You imitate God and you imitate the love of Christ. But also notice what else he says. He says, you, verse 8 You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Be light. Be children of light. And light has nothing to do with darkness, except that it shows through the darkness. He reminds the Christians how they once walked in darkness. They practiced the things that those Ephesians practiced. But now they were light in the Lord. Evidently, some of them in that culture had taken God and added Him to their God. There are other gods instead of making Him their 
only God. You see, pornography and other forms of sexual immorality, they're destroying our families. They're destroying our minds and our hearts. And it's pulling our young people and adults away at tragic levels. I'm not against smartphones. I like them. But smartphones and social media have not helped in this area at all. And so as we surf the internet, as we use our smartphones, let's make sure when we do that, as well as all other times, that we are imitators of God and that we're walking in the light. Let me share you an example of a story about Corey Timboom that talks about being light. Corey Timboom tells how during hard times in the watchmaking business, when the family was in extreme financial need, she observed her father and a wealthy customer. The wealthy man had decided to purchase a costly timepiece with cash, which would have met all their needs. But as her father was handling the cash, the customer related that he was buying the watch because Mr. Tin Boom's young competitor could not fix the fine old watch. Corey's father asked to see it. He opened it, made a slight adjustment, and handed it back, saying, There, that was a very little mistake. It will be fine now. Sir, I trust the young watchmaker. Someday, he will be just as good as his father. So if you ever have a problem with one of his watches, come to me and I'll help you out. Now I shall give you back your money and you return my watch. Corey watched, horrified as she saw the exchange, and then observed her father open the door for the man and bow deeply in his old-fashioned way. She flew at her father in reproof, only to be herself reproved by his patience regard through his steel-rimmed glasses and his gentle question. Corey? What do you think that young man would have said when he heard that one of his good customers had gone to Mr. Tinboom? Do you think that the name of the Lord would be honored? As for the money, trust the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He will take care of us. What an example of light. Paul said, listen, if you want to overcome the darkness, if you want to overcome all this uh, culture that is around you, if you want to live in this culture and be different, it's not easy, but you do that by imitating God. You do that by being light, walking in the light. And then finally he says in verse 15, you do that by being wise. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul says, walk circumspectly. He means, be careful. Be diligent as you live life. Do not live foolishly. I looked up that word early in it, and I used to didn't say this when my kids were little, but our kids are over there, right? He said, do not be stupid. As you go through life, do not be stupid. But you see, that was a challenge. You see, this is one of those tough lessons because it kind of slaps me in the face and steps on my toes. Because Paul says, I know this is the kind of culture that you live in. But I want you to remember, you've been called out. 
I want you to remember in the words of Peter, that makes you special. That makes you better than the world. We don't walk around and say, look how good I am because I go to church. It makes us special because we have hope. And when we're imitators of God and we walk in the light and when we live wisely, redeeming the time, that makes a difference in our home, in our relationships at home, in our communities, in our schools, workplaces, and in our church body. What's the point? Well, I wish we had time. Bob Gray brought to light something in our class on Wednesday night about Moses. In the book of Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, Moses is having this conversation with God. And in verse 18, Moses asks something of God in this conversation. You see, in Exodus 33 and verse 18, Moses said, Please show me your glory. You see, a few verses before that, it said they had spoken uh, face to face. Really what he's saying is, we, we talked where we could hear one another. And at the end of that chapter, or this text, God says, listen, you can't see me face to face. But Moses asked God, please show me your glory. You go back to chapter 3. When God calls Moses at the burning bush, what did Moses see? He saw the glory of God. In chapter 24, uh, Moses sees the glory of God. On Mount Sinai, he sees the glory of God. With the elders, he sees the glory of God. And now here, Moses says, please show me your glory. You know what that told me? It told me there's hope. It told me as I open up the Bible and I look at the mirror of God's Word and I I look at it as it applies to my life and I see how unworthy I am, Moses gives me hope. Where did it start, Moses? He was taught by his mom about God about God's people. You see what a difference our home life makes. Now Moses made, he made some mistakes, didn't he, along the way? Oh yes he did, he made some mistakes. In fact, when he was ready, God wasn't ready. And when God was ready, he wasn't ready. But through the journey of his life and keeping God first in his life, through all those mistakes, through all those challenges, he gets to the point where he says, God, I want to see you fully. Paul said, if you want to overcome the darkness of the world, be imitators of God. Love like Jesus. Be light. Be light in your home. Be light in your school, young people. Be light in your workplaces, adults. 
let's push darkness out of our church family. By loving like Jesus. By being light to our brothers and sisters in Christ and all those around us. And by walking in wisdom. Because the days are evil. Be diligent to live that way. Maybe you're here today and maybe, maybe God's Word has lit, lifted some struggles in your life or revealed some struggles in your life and you want to make those right. Remember, what I, remember that story at the beginning? It reminds us, don't put our hope in people. No leader in this church stands before you saying, we are perfect and we have it all to get. Because the reality is the opposite is true. We struggle. And our families struggle. Because we live in a culture like Corinth and like Ephesus. And I want you to look around this room. And I want in your mind, I want you to say, that's why I need you. If you have a need to respond to the Lord today, rededicating your life or giving your life to Him in the first place so you can come out of the, up out of that water grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. Maybe it is you just need your brothers and sisters in Christ to say, I've carried this too long. I need your prayers. As together we stand and sing.